0: It, it, it is an important Welcome ministry. to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church, church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from Carl God's Becky Word Kersman would engage your mind with the truth children, and inspire and your God. heart to My obey Christ. To Here's today's message. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I've titled today's message, Practicing the Perfect Patience of God. This proverb uh, that we are going to look at, or group of proverbs, this wisdom literature, is profitable. It is profitable as any proverb in Scripture uh, because a generous amount of patience, especially when enduring suffering, uh, things aren't going our way, generous amount of patience will leave room for God's perfect result. God will bring about His perfect result uh, in His due time. You know, we we often hear Romans 8.28 quoted so often that uh, for some people it becomes a little bit annoyingly trite. But it is true. All things work together for those who love God. And that statement... Written by Paul, that is given in the context to comfort us even when our prayers are uttered in, in groanings. Groanings in the Spirit uh, that can't be expressed through words. It's during times of trial, and sometimes the anguish of our situation, it, be, it can become so much for us to bear that we can't even express it in words, and therefore the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Yet no circumstance, it is concluded, shall separate us from the love of Christ. We're chosen by God, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful promise. Nothing. Nothing. Our goal is to patiently endure trials without illicitly or illegally taking things into our own hands, making things right on our own, uh, because God knows that seasons of oppression, they can make even the wisest man or woman respond by doing some crazy, irrational things. Pain, anguish, suffering, oppression can really, uh, can really work us over sometimes. Last week we learn to be sober in spirit. This passage now, this week, we will learn to be patient in spirit. Patience in spirits. Especially when we are afflicted to the point you know, our flesh just wants to respond and lash out in anger. During our scripture reading, Romans 12 verse 19 said, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we need to recognize that it is a, a sinful nature. It is a sinful nature that drives us to react impulsively uh, to things we perceive as injustice. It makes us want to retaliate by our own devices. Uh, we are going to discover today that, that being stirred to wrath, it is not the behavior of someone who is wise. It's not wise behavior. Just to begin, who serves as our perfect pattern of patience when being oppressed and while suffering? Oh, that man is described in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, which states, when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him, who judges righteously, that is God, and He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, for by His wounds we are healed. That is the perfect patience of God. Christ endured injustice, yet He entrusted the final judgment to God His Father in heaven, His righteous Father. Uh, therefore, as we turn now to read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, Christ has already provided to us our perfect, uh, perfect patience of God. One opening comment as I, uh, before I read. The first word in verse 7 is probably better translated, surely. Not all translations use the word surely, but probably best uh, 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 as surely. So I'm going to use that when I read. And be aware that the wise man who is mad, in verse 7, or made mad, it doesn't mean that he's he's mad as in angry, though he's probably angry as we look at the passage. Uh, The word indicates that the oppression has driven him to madness to madness, or a mental state of acting irrationally. He's gone mad. So in verse 7 we read, "...truly or surely oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry." For anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Sooner or later, tough times are going to come knocking. They will come knocking on our door, on every person's door. And I suspect the lesson within this poem is, is meant to point back to the man with a good name in verse one, the man of a good reputation we looked at last week. He has, up to this point, preserved his good name by, by living wisely, by not joining the laughter of fools. Yet even his sensible living, living, it does not ensure that he will never become the target of oppression. It is generally true. Folks, you realize that Proverbs, proverbial literature, uh, when it comes to principles like this, they're generally true. The, The moral principles in Proverbs are always true. An unjust weight is an abomination to the Lord, the moral principles. But the principles like, train up your child in the way he shall go, and when he is old he will not depart from it... That is a general promise. That's generally how things work out. It's an assurance from the Lord. When you live wisely, and you do what you are supposed to do, generally things will work out uh, in in a way that is is good for us. Uh, Yet God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It is generally true that a wise person who lives soberly in spirit, as we learned last week, they will avoid many... And usually most of life's heartaches. They will be able to avoid most. A wise person won't get fired from their job for habitually arriving late or hungover. He or she won't get their credit ruined after buying a car that they couldn't afford in the first place. That six-month emergency fund that you so diligently save for uh, emergency circumstances... That six-month emergency fund uh, will supply refuge from most of life's unforeseen hiccups. Godly living works, all right? Godly living truly works. Acting responsibly concerning matters within our control makes all of life, oh, so much easier. So much easier. But it still provides no guarantee No guarantee that misery will not come knocking at our door. The wisest man or woman who has done everything right, has paid all of their insurance premiums on time, could or may through some misfortune outside of their own control still be sued for everything that they own. It is still possible to get bit, even when you're living righteously. A failed business partnership, or, or a, a fraudulent investment. Folks, they have spoiled many a person's fortune. Many a person's. Wicked people exist everywhere. And they're ready to take advantage of circumstances uh, from, uh, and steal from honest people, even nice people like us. It can happen, right? It does happen. It's a very sad day when it happens. And unimaginable acts of aggression or ruthless, ruthless attempts at extortion, they have the capacity to drive an utterly wise person mad. It can drive them completely irrational. Uh, he or she may react insanely to oppression. Uh, it can turn. This is the principle. Oppression can turn an otherwise wise person into a fool. Into a fool. They can ruin their life. So this passage is preparing us, the wise people, preparing us uh, to not ourselves succumb to corruption when we are the subject of oppression. When we are suffering oppression and persecution. Verse 7 warns, A bribe corrupts, literally destroys. A bribe corrupts the heart. But why the the reference to a bribe? I I thought about this for a while. It isn't immediately clear. But why the reference to a bribe? I think that in response to an act of aggression or an act of extortion, the bribe may in context, imply any illicit action that you might pursue to fix your problem. Any illicit action that you might pursue to say, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to play the fixer. And the wise man himself capitulates to corruption. Folks, the, the human mind The human mind will justify irrational solutions when it's under pressure, when it's being oppressed. Remember, proverbial literature is usually given, and is generally given, to apply to just a diversity of situations. Many different situations uh, to which this principle will apply. I I think this could pertain to nearly any scenario. Any scenario where an otherwise righteous man or woman might be seduced by his flesh into taking vengeance by his own hand. Taking vengeance by our own hand rather than endure and patiently wait on the perfect timing of God. Perhaps even a solution that introduces violence. Violence. I sat on a jury a few years ago for a conspiracy-to-murder trial. Conspiracy-to-murder, uh, where a perceived injustice, a situation where a man felt uh, an injustice, and oppression, uh, a father hired a hitman to murder his son-in-law. His daughter was experiencing major organ failure and had been hooked up to machines for months. I've never seen photos like this that 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 woman had to go through with machines that kept her alive as she continually deteriorated and had infections. Meanwhile, his son-in-law had uh, taken custody uh, of their only child in another state. The father uh, was left behind then to manage the grave deterioration and continuous deterioration of his daughter's life. Very stressful situation. He decided it wasn't right that the grandchild be taken away from his daughter and moved to another state. And by the testimony of numerous witnesses who had known this grandfather for decades, they were certain he could not have done this. It couldn't have been him. He did not do this. Uh, he was an upstanding member of his church. He claimed to be a Christian. He was also a very successful corporate executive. Uh, he was he was financially well off. He had things at his fingertips. He was, he was set. But Grandpa decided that it was not proper, it was not fair for the dad to have custody up in North Dakota. While well, he himself took care of the man's wife, as she remained hooked up to machines in Oklahoma. The evidence revealed that Grandpa took matters into his own hand and hired his handyman to go up and do the murder. And they followed through with it. They followed through with it. And otherwise respectable man, a reputable man in society for those who knew him became corrupted because he would not patiently entrust himself to wait on God. He said, I'm going to fix this myself. Madness drove him into taking matters into his own hands. An extreme example, it is. It it is. But when you as a Christian are treated wrongly, when you are severely wronged, do you always wait for God patiently to intervene? Is that where your mind always goes first? Or does your mind begin to imagine sinful schemes that you know might make things right? Don't raise your hand. As misery and oppression increases, as the stress increases an illicit response, an illegal response can become rational to a mind that is driven by madness. Scenes of oppression have tormented Christians for centuries. Acts 14.22 says, It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Oppression has existed throughout humanity. And experienced persecution for our faith Oh, that, that can provoke some irrational thought. First Peter is a letter written to Christians. Christians who were being oppressed for their faith, who were suffering dearly for their faith. And to them the Apostle Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And he says this, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. It appears that that their endurance of a a fiery trial, a fiery ordeal, uh, some Christians experience temptations to to maybe make remedy through their own hand. Maybe, Maybe fix it, rather than endure and share in the sufferings of Christ. Is it possible for a Christian who is enduring severe oppression to search out for a way to settle the score, to make it right all on their own. Is that possible? Well, our scripture reading warned us never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I should have titled this message, leaving room for the wrath of God. We would have liked that better. I don't know how these passages of warning can make any sense if a born-again Christian doesn't retain some capacity to exercise grave acts of revenge on others. Wouldn't make sense, the warnings, if it is not possible that we have in our flesh the potential uh, to, to lash out, especially when enduring unjust experiences of persecution. Things that we have deemed unjust. You know, you know some, some Americans would say, in protest. Uh, well, a, a Christian a Christian could never do such a thing. As we're driving home from the stores in our SUVs loaded up with groceries to the point the the bumper is dragging on the ground. We have not yet had the pleasure of standing joyfully As Hebrews 10 verse 34 says, watching our property being seized. We haven't had that privilege yet, as early Christians did. Christians in America cannot comprehend religious persecution as it is seen and experienced in the Bible. At least not yet. At least not yet. Most are not oppressed. Most are not oppressed and we are unaware of the things that we might be capable of in the flesh under severe pressure and persecution. Rather, rather than go in there, I'd like to prefer to emphasize what we are capable of in the Spirit. What we are capable of in the Spirit of God. In the Spirit, we are capable of enduring Extreme acts of injustice upon us by the Spirit that indwells us. Even persecution unto death. As Christians have proven through the centuries they are able to endure. Because Scripture says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword... Just as it is written, says Paul, quoting the Old Testament, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We know that is true from written history, recorded history, that many Christians throughout the history of the church were put to death in the most grotesque fashions. We can suffer Like Christ suffered, and leave the judging up to God. God will be the judge. Throughout the age of the church, millions of Christians have been able to endure horrific forms of oppression, even unto death, and leave the vengeance up to God. Leave it to God, who promises that He will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And his vengeance is going to be hot, going to be hot. I had the pleasure this past week to uh, listen once again to a recording uh, of a sermon titled "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" by Jonathan Edwards. Well, it wasn't a recording of him; it was a recording of someone reading his sermon. And if you're familiar with that, with that sermon by Jonathan Edwards, uh, back. 1741? Um, thank you. That was the catalyst. It became the catalyst of the Great Awakening. When people heard that, it changed people's hearts. People were born again. Uh, it spurred uh, such a, uh, a response to the grace of God overlooking sin. And when you read the message, in fact, well, I'm thinking someday I should just preach that sermon. Really, it is that incredible. He talks about the fiery wrath of God, how none can escape it, for all of our sins are, are filthy and dirty, and he goes again and again driving it home. How the fires of hell wait for us. Yet God has been gracious through Jesus Christ to endure uh, our sins through the sacrifice of His Son. But for those who will not accept Christ as their Savior, God says, vengeance will be mine. Now, you won't hear much of that preached today. Sadly, no wonder we're not seeing uh, the type of response and the type of awakening that they did back in that day. God has got the vengeance handled. He's ready. Our role is to endure patiently and to recognize in verse 8 that the end of a matter, that's better than its beginning. And patience of spirit, it's better than haughtiness of spirit. Verse 8 is an assurance, a promise, that God is in control and working all things for good. is working all things for good. When suffering and oppression come, the end of the matter is going to be better than the beginning. It is all going to work out because God is completely just. Perfectly just. And He will make things right. Therefore... When you do what is right and suffer for it, and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called, says Peter, you have been called for this purpose, to suffer for what is right. When we take matters into our own hands, out of anger, which is the context of this passage, the next verse, our response is never just It's never measured. When we seize God's role as judge and take it out of His hand through anger and corruption, what it reveals is a state of madness. At that point, we have gone crazy. We will either overreact or we will underreact, but justice is not served. Justice is not measured. And God is not pleased that... Being overcome with evil, we have usurped His authority. We have taken His place. It's not what God wants. He wants us to live righteously and justly and be at peace with all men. To be a good witness to to His truth. To the life of Christ who suffered. One limitation is that we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We don't know all the circumstances. We don't know how God is orchestrating the situation for His own good and for His own kingdom. Folks, your martyrdom, that could be the greatest good. Hard for us to imagine here in America. But giving your life for the gospel could be God's greatest result. Anybody ever heard of a man named Nate Saint? or Jim Elliot, the missionaries that went down to Ecuador to try to reach a remote tribe with the gospel, and how as they went into the jungle, uh, they were speared to death for wanting to approach this tribe who had been isolated for generations. They're all murdered for the gospel. And you would think, oh, that's horrible, that's horrible. There's a great movie, by the way, if you have not seen that, the movie, what's it called? The End of the Spear. You've got to get that on Amazon and watch it if you have not seen that. That is a great movie. It shows, shows the work of this man. But they died taking the gospel in. I shouldn't tell you the end of the story, but you already know. It all worked out for good. It opened a door for missionaries to go in and share the gospel with that tribe who did not know Christ. And many came to faith and glorified God. The end was better than the beginning. And that was God's greatest good. Folks, we, we only see a small piece of the puzzle when we're oppressed. But Solomon has already asserted in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 17 that God is omniscient. He sees it all, He knows everything. And that's why uh, Solomon said there God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time for every matter and for every deed is there. It's a time for everything. The time for judging is God's. The end of the matter will be better than the beginning. Rather than allowing a situation outside of your control to corrupt your heart and respond irrationally, patience in spirit is better Patience and spirit is better, especially when we're wronged. God will step in for the oppressed in His timing, which is best, because He knows everything. We patiently endure it. He is perfectly just. And when persecuted for our faith, the wise man endures patiently, waiting on God, even if the oppression leads to our death. You know something? We don't get to see this much in America. Maybe that's why the church is so weak. When left to God, the end of the matter is better than the beginning. This is exemplified in Christ himself. On that Passover when Jesus was handed over to, to evil men that they might crucify him on the cross, it, that was the gravest injustice ever done on earth. A sinless Savior, innocent of all charges, condemned to die. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And He was crucified. Oppression doesn't get any more unjust than that. And it looked pretty bleak on that Friday. The Apostles thought it looked pretty bleak. As Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross, He died, He was buried, and it looked like the end. But on the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Because God is in sovereign control. God is in control. The end of every matter is better than the beginning. For all things work for the good for those who love God. It will work out all right. We merely need to trust Him and practice the perfect patience of God. Philip Ryken writes regarding the humble first advent, the first coming of Christ. Quote, Who would ever imagine that this was the start of an empire? That the baby would become king and that by offering himself as a sacrifice he would gain the forgiveness of sins for people from all nations. Yet the end will be much better than the beginning. What began with the coming of the Christ child will end with the consummation of His eternal kingdom. We shall wait patiently until Christ returns. We shall endure to the end. You know, Jesus' divine, this pattern of patience that Christ exercised, is not only profitable when facing martyrdom or severe physical persecution. Every situation is better when we will wait for God to act, patiently wait on God. One commentator writes, quote, We often see this principle worked out in our own lives. A few simple steps of obedience eventually lead to a stronger life of prayer or greater generosity and kingdom giving. We see it in our families, where sons and daughters who have so much to learn in life gradually grow more mature." until finally they are able to offer useful service to the kingdom of God. We see it in church planting, where the vision and prayers of just a handful of people may eventually produce a congregation with hundreds of members. Members, The end of a thing is better than the beginning. What a great promise from Scripture. The end will be better than the beginning. You know, in in ministry, I have observed that everything over time gets better. Everything gets better uh, to those who are faithful to this principle. There there have been times that uh, through life I have perceived severe injustice, things that are wrong, when I truly wanted to do something about it. I truly wanted to do something about it. By God's grace, I did something about it. I waited. I waited until God stepped in and the end was better. The end was better than anything I could have forced illicitly to cause by my own hand. I don't want us to to, to misunderstand entirely. In the spirit, Solomon does say there is a time for everything. There is. Everything under the sun, there's a time for it. And there's a time to act deliberately, but not corruptly. Not corruptly. And not out of madness when the situation is outside of our control. If that is the case, if it's outside our control, just wait. Just wait. The end will be better than the beginning. There, there exist many, many situations and scenarios of of things that are within our control, concerning injustice and oppression. When, and when man has failed to act, that's sin. He who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. That's a different sermon and a different text. This is about not letting ourselves be driven crazy because we can't control something without doing it in a fashion that is ungodly. I believe verse 9 is self-explanatory in light of what we have discussed concerning uh, waiting patiently. Patient endurance says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Anger that leads to corruption, it can turn a wise man into a fool. He can become nuts. He He can even with a good name do things irrationally, and it can leave his life in shambles. It can leave his family in shambles. Same with a woman. But I want to spend just just a few last minutes here discussing verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, Do not say, Why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. This too is speaking to the wise man. He's being oppressed and he just laments at how much better things were in a previous day, in a previous age. he, He romanticizes about the past. You know, kind of like the 60s in America when everybody was Christian. All things were holy and set apart for the Lord. That back in the day, That type of person gets so distracted by looking back. They can't see the amazing things that God is accomplishing present, and they aren't watching for opportunities in the future. The end of the thing will be better than the beginning. And when times get tough, when times get hard, we should never be aching for the former days. Oh, just aching for those former days when everything was so much better. That displays a lack of trust that God will bring everything to a good end. That all things work together for those who love God, and the end of the thing will be better than the beginning. When we're always looking back, it is a lack of faith that God is at work. Folks, we always need to be looking forward. Always searching forward. In fact, the only path for the advancement of Christ's kingdom is forward forward living in the past is self-defeating self-defeating you cannot change the past the other problem is pretty much all of us airbrush our experiences of the past they're celebrated as the good old days good old days back when everything was perfect just and right folks for many christians and for many churches Longing for the past has become debilitating in the present. Debilitating in the present. My dad once said, the good old days? Oh, I don't remember any. No, no. For an individual Christian or for a local church, listen to this. There exist no potential opportunities in the past. For the Christian and for the church, there are no potential opportunities existing in the past. There's nothing there that you can pursue. It's the past. A wise person does not look back. Our opportunities that we have in Christ are now and in the future. Douglas O'Donnell writes this, Nostalgia of this sort nauseates Pastor Solomon, for he knows, as we all should know, that each age has its own unique opportunities and challenges. And we cannot face the challenges of our age by pining after another. It means longing after and aching for a past time. He continues, such praise of the past proves our impatience with the present. So O'Donnell says, let's come down from our pride in the past pedestal and give today's generation a shot. You never know the end of the thing might actually be better than the beginning. Live for today, seize opportunities in the future. And not a single opportunity for anyone in the past. The past is the past. Nostalgia has crippled and closed the doors of many a church. I'm glad we're not that way. I'm glad we're not that way. Many churches have closed up because all they could think about was the past. Healthy, growing churches, they expand going forward. They expand forward. Forward. And seize opportunities. As far as potential opportunities for kingdom building today, those opportunities that face us, that are available to us for God's kingdom, the former days were not better, and it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Many, many times I've experienced people that move in, well, we're in South Florida. No one here is from South Florida, Right? And people come. Hey, we got two. <laughs> but we all come from somewhere. We all have a church background. We've all had experiences. We've all had good times. Things in the past we've learned from. But you hear so often that people are just dissatisfied because they said, "Yeah, that's not how we did it at our church." There's some way we can recreate the past or re-engineer the past for the future. I've had some fantastic experiences in my past. I've learned a ton from the situations in my past that I can apply towards the future. But I don't lament to return to any of my former days. There are no opportunities there. Every opportunity I see today exists in the future. In the future. And the end of the end is going to be even better than the beginning. I'll say this with genuine, heartfelt honesty, today this is the best situation, the best scenario that we as a church have ever been in together. It is great. The opportunities that we share with one another, they abound. Today is the perfect day to invest your heart in the present to serve Christ through His church and in our future. Scripture assures Christ is coming. He is coming. And there are some challenges that we will need to patiently endure as as we wait. But the matter, the end of the matter will be better than its beginning. And it is going to be spectacular. It will be spectacular. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, wonderful Redeemer, uh, the wisdom that you give about being patient and enduring even when times are tough, even when they look unfair. Lord, what a blessing it is to know if we'll just wait, if we can endure, that uh, You, Yourself, will bring, again, uh, bring about Your perfect result and Your perfect timing. Father, help us to know that judgment belongs to You, that You are righteous and perfect, and that either, as with us, You've judged our sin at the cross, Or, Lord, you will judge it when you come. Bless this church as we patiently endure, as we look not to the past but to the future, as you've taught us that the end will be better than the beginning. Oh, Father, what an opportunity we have in this day to do mighty things in your name. That as your scripture goes forth, that the truth is taught, that you, Lord, yourself are glorified, the name of your Son. We ask that you would achieve this through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.